Good morning. How are you? Pretty good. Oh my gosh. Every day I'm hustling. Every day. That's a song. Mm. Actually, you know what the song for today should be? What's that? Uh, the classic from uh, Sisters of Mercy. Hey now, hey now, now, seen this corrosion. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that one. What? I don't know that one. You're telling me you, you weren't out dancing in the, in the new wave clubs no, in the late 80s? Not as much as I should have hey, been. I'll sing it again. Hey now, hey now, now, seen this corrosion. I was speaking to somebody in their very early, tw- in fact, I think they were 20 years old, and they were unfamiliar with Marcy, so I'm sending them back to listen to Back to Work from, from episode one on. <laughs> you know, there's a person born every day who's never heard Marcy. Everyone spread the word, Marcy has not been heard, la la la. <laughs> It's a sadness, a sadness, a sadness. It's rich upon my face. I move the chairs inside your place. I like that. It's hard to stop. It's, yeah, no, it's hard to stop once you get going. You got any, you got any requests? Uh, you know what they say in my family? Um, you'd say, uh, yeah, any requests? You'd say, yeah, sing solo. What do you want me to sing solo? Sing solo, I can't hear you. <laughs> my, my family, man, they like invented dad jokes. I think somewhere, somewhere in <laughs> south, southwest Ohio, yeah. dad jokes were invented by my family. That's awesome. All this in heaven, too. <laughs> I wonder what the poor people are doing. <laughs> I would, my only request would be, um, really, a hairdresser on fire. Oh, you know, I'm not super familiar with that. Is that, is, is that from their last record? No, that's early days. That's an early one, I think. Oh, really? From v, uh, Viva Hate. Oh, um, Morrissey solo. I'm not as super familiar with Morrissey solo. I'm, oh. I'm a I'm a Smiths man. Although I enjoy I enjoy Morrissey. Um, my pal Michael and I uh, went to see him in Oakland a few years ago, and it was it was a treat. Yeah, you know about his following with uh, the Mexican people. Ah, uh, no, walk me through it. Well, just real quick. Um, <laughs> you know, more. Hmm? <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about today, Dan. Yeah, I know we have a lot of follow up. I know. Um, well, you know, Morrissey, uh, the, the Smiths caught on what, about 1982 or three in England, you know, mostly with thin boned, you know, young people in England. Right. But, but over time, Morrissey got more and more of a following among the like kind of vaquero, uh, like Mexican guys. Cause he sings in a tradition that's, <laughs> I didn't know this. Uh, look it up. It's real. No, like, I we believe went, you. I just, I had no idea. When we went there, it was maybe a slight majority of kind of uh, uh, people in trench coats, you know? Yeah. And, and then like a lot of guys with cowboy hats and really cool cowboy boots who, who, were, who were straight up full on Mexican, like super in Morrissey. It's a thing. It's true. No, I totally, I mean, I believe it. I, that's in, just something I had no, I had no knowledge of. And if a double decker bus smashes into us <laughs> to die by your side, oh, the pleasure, the privilege is mine. <laughs> You know, Dan, there's a light and it never goes out. There is a light and it never goes out. Shabbos Goy. There is a light and it never goes out. Mm-hmm. Awesome talk. <laughs> I was reading about the Shabbos Goy over the weekend a lot. Oh, I'm fascinated by this phenomenon. Me too. Should we, should we tell our listeners about this? Yeah, I mean, an definitely. Colin Powell. Colin Powell was a Shabbos Goy? Yes. Martin Scorsese. 
get the heck out of I'm here. I'm not kidding about this. You're telling me you, you make a little money on the side by turning on stoves and lights and elevators. I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah, this is a thing. Yes, it is, it is a thing. Malacca. Well, tell, 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 tell people about it. Uh, okay. It's, it's, the, it's the ultimate uh, Semitic life hack. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. I'll put this in show notes. Show notes can be found at, let's see, 5x5.tv slash B is in uh, brethren, two is in the number, W as in you're welcome, slash 229. 229. Now, a Shabbos Goy. Well, you got to get some context here. All right. Shabbos. Which, which, which white people call the Sabbath. Yes, is the Hebrew Jewish religious day of rest, which is celebrated by Jewish people on a different day than it's celebrated. Uh, it is Friday evening at sundown until the appearance of three stars in the sky on Saturday night. Did you know that it has to be three stars? I did not know that. I don't know if there are three specific stars, but this is a very, uh, especially if you were like an Orthodox Jew, you would, on on sundown, you would have lit your candles and stuff before sundown. And there are a whole lot of kinds of uh, work because on, on the seventh day, God rested. So, Jewish people, and, so, and then we're not we're not talking about like you know piling piling into the suburban and going to see a drive-in. We're talking about you really seriously got to rest. Like there's, you're not allowed to do any work. You're not right. allowed to do anything with money. You definitely not, like, do not roll. I think you definitely do not roll. Yeah. And and I think the I, I'm not I'm not a scholar on this, but I think a very specific thing from the from the Torah. Yes, it's probably it's got, it's got to be in like Numbers or Deuteronomy or one of those wackadoodle ones. The Talmud, I think, identifies the 39 categories of activities prohibited on. But here's, here's the one you need to know as a modern Jew is you cannot cause the flame to be made. You don't want to do a flame. Some people so in other don't. words, that starts as simple as you're not allowed to build a fire. Right. I think is how that started. You're not allowed to light a candle. But abstract that to modern life. Right. So what's right? a light switch? Is a light switch, is the spark in a light switch the same? Well, no, it's electricity, but still you could be operating an incandescent light, which technically is a fire. So you can't, you can't but turn on lights. It's been accepted in the modern and contemporary age that like, you're not allowed to, I, I think you're not allowed to cause uh, anything electrical to happen. Right. So you it, and also you can't turn on a stove. No. You can't, you can't, ask an elevator to come to your floor this becomes important there's all kinds of things that you can't like change the setting on the air conditioning right could you open a fridge if the light's going to turn on in there or that's going to cause the fan to spin up a little bit more you can't do it they have a, a, a shabbat lamp which is a lamp that has um the light is always on inside of it it just has a little cover that slides down over it <laughs> It's such a cheat. It's always on i know it's total light it's total it shabbat it's worse. It worse it gets so much funnier yeah, it, there are so many things that it's broken down into the, all of these different categories, uh, or as you would say, projects that you cannot mm. do. Uh, there are 39 different ones, things like planting, plowing, reaping, gathering, threshing, winnowing, grinding. Is this, is this in notes, what you're looking at right now? This is in notes. It, okay. uh, it is activities prohibited on Shabbat. Oh, I see. Oh, look at that. It's on Wikipedia. Yeah, of course. Uh, you cannot flay or skin animals. Uh, there's oh a goodness. lot of you're things. Not allowed, you're not allowed to card co- card or comb wool. No. No dyeing, spinning, warping, weaving, tying, untying, sewing, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, flaying, skinning, curing, preserving, smoothing, scoring, writing, erasing, building, demolition. No extinguishing a fire. No igniting a fire. No, none of those things. Uh, oh, and the order of hides. There's a whole section on hides. <laughs> oh my goodness, Dan! I didn't realize there's the order of bread. Look at that. Yeah. A lot of stuff oh. you can't do, and when it when you get into you modern know, like, day, tie your shoes. They don't want you to do anything that's that's 
like creating or sorting or improving something or like you can eat, I forget how it works, but like it, let's say, let's, okay. Let's say you've got some raisins and peanuts in a bowl. Fair enough. And you, you can cause them to be joined together in food. You true. But you, let's say you don't like peanuts. You just want the raisins. You could not remove the peanuts because you would be improving the raisins, but you could eat the raisins out of the bowl and leave the peanuts. There's all these little weird, maybe I got that backwards. Uh, no, but I mean, it's, it's, it's very complicated. So what they came out with is they came out with the Shabbos Goy. Now, do you, do you have a sense of when that was, that technology was first invented? Is, is that a 20th century thing? No, no, that goes way, way back. Way, way, way okay. back. Now, okay, there are certain things, just as Walter did, where certain situations where you can break the Sabbath, like you're, in fact, you might be required to break the Sabbath. So here's an interesting scenario. Let's say, God forbid, that your home is, is it's Sabbath, but your home is burning down. Right, God forbid. You, you could not put out the fire. You would have to just simply pull your family out of the fire. And only if you couldn't, like, let's say, Let's say you and I were cohabitants mm. and a, a beam fell upon you and I could not pull you out of the fire. Then I would be able to put out the fire. But if you were fine, and I just had to like rouse you out of your slumber and pull you out of bed. I would have to do that. And then I could not take any action to put the fire out. I would have to just sit there and watch while it burned our home down. But if you were under the beam and the only way to save you would be to put out the fire, then I could do that work to rescue you. What if it was really cold out? Would you be allowed to make me a sweater? Like knit you a sweater to save your... Only if I knew for sure that your life was, was at, in jeopardy, yeah. Question. Go. What if I were a woman in active labor? Then I'm required to take you to a hospital. You are not only unforbidden and... <laughs> yes, I'm required. You're I'm mandated. required to save a life. If I'm a doctor and someone is hurt and could die, I'm required to assist. Or even as if I'm is, not a doctor, I'm required to assist. As it is written, so it, so it is knitted. So it shall be. Yes. And, and grace to you, too. But the Shabbos Goy would be a, a non-Jew who is helping out with neighbors or at a synagogue or something to perform some or all of the duties to help, uh, to help out. And Martin Scorsese did this. Yeah, I mean, let's, let, let's say what it is. You, you hire a kid yeah. to do the stuff you're not allowed to do. Right. To, to knit you a sweater, light or a to, candle, or to shear shear your shear your wool, <laughs> yeah. or to move your beam. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And uh, well, so, so here's my I, I I need your help on this because I, I I don't know. Ex- I'll tell you the facts that I know, and you can tell me what this constitutes. But there is a you know it's interesting to me because there there are different levels of orthodoxy. I guess yeah, very in, much. in Judaism, as with like you know with the Amish, for example, there's different people who take it to a different level. I guess. There's orthodox, I guess there's ultra-orthodox. Yeah. That's a thing, right? But there's a community of like extremely orthodox Jews in Miami. There's a lot of Jewish people in Miami. And they have some kind of hack that involves, is, is there some kind of a dispensation if you're technically inside a synagogue? Isn't there some kind of like a special dispensation? All I know is that there's like a, suppose, <laughs> this might be classic Christian lore. Okay. But supposedly, they ran a string a, a, around like an entire neighborhood so that it could be reclassified as a place where there was some uh, uh, loosening of the rules. Have you ever heard of this? I No, this is news to me. I don't know about it. My friend Grant told me about this when I was visiting him in, uh, in Miami one time. What does the string do? Like pull your tooth out? 
No, no. I mean, and I don't. I, first of all, I mean, like this, this, this is funny and it's awesome and it's hilarious. I do not mean to sound disrespectful at all. I, I I'm not at all. I, I have. Like, well, you've got have, me here, so it's okay. Well, <laughs> you can. I'm say like it. a human shield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, my understanding, and I, you know, if anybody's listening to this right now in the chat room or on the tutor, let me know what this is. Give me a link. But my understanding was that if you can basically turn. But that there, I guess this started out in simple ways that, that you could basically have this kind of this area declared a certain kind of area. I want to say as a synagogue because there's a dispensation for synagogue stuff. Right, but anyway, yeah. but supposedly this entire community of Orthodox Jews, they'd run a string around it and then did some hand waving and said, okay, now anybody who lives in this area doesn't have to follow the rules mm. as written. Anyway, I, I, I don't mean disrespect, but if anybody knows what I'm talking about, tell me as ever. Yeah, me too. And, and for I the record, I, I'm not, I, I've, I've never done, like I think in, in Hebrew school, which occurs uh, for f- the few years up until you're, you're 13, you, and some kids do it much later than that, but most of the kids I knew just did it and then got our bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, and out of there. Right. But it's, I, almost like, it's almost like serving in the army in Israel. I think it is. Same, same concept. Yeah. Less, less risk. But you, yeah. uh, we had to learn, we would like learn, um, I don't remember if I was reformed or conservative, I forget, uh, but I think I was both at different times, but never orthodox, but they would show us like the orthodox stuff, like, like, by Seems the way, like this need, is that stuff, that stuff you'd need to know. You need to know it. It's like, you know, like building a fire and, you know, if you're wanting to one day camp or like how to set up a tent, it's just that well, kind of stuff. Like you won't, you probably don't need it day to day, but once in a while right. it wouldn't hurt to know. Well, at the, you know, at the risk of extending far beyond my actual knowledge, it's, you know, a lot of the stuff, it's my understanding. Um, and I remember this being taught in Sunday school, uh, Christian Sunday school, was that a lot of the stuff we look at today and that seems really old fashioned about the laws of Judaism, whether that has to do with uh, what you're allowed to eat, whether it has to do with, you know, relation, different kinds of relationship things, a huge amount of that stuff comes straight out of practicality. Oh, yeah. Where on, so here's two things to think about. Like, if you're going to be wandering in the desert for years, here's two things to think about. Like, first of all, you know, point one, Fury Road, you know, blood and fire. <laughs> Our whole job here is to survive. How do we survive, right? How do we survive as a people intact? And how do we survive, uh, you know, these harsh conditions? And if you look at it from, through that lens, it makes a lot more sense. So, like, you know, keeping the integrity of the tribe it makes a lot of sense to have rules about who you can lay down with and oh, yeah. stuff like that and yeah. to have laws. Also, shrimp in the desert, not a great idea. Right. Pork, pork in the desert, not smart. Right? That, yeah. the, a lot of the, supposedly, a lot of the dietary restrictions came out of like what would be horribly unhealthy to eat or, or suspicious like, you know, cloven-hoofed animals, like right. suspicious stuff that would, you know, you know potentially uh, make you ill. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I actually find that you know, sensible in its way. No, it does. And, and thinking about this on, on another level, you know, you think about the culture and you think about the invention of certain foods like gefilte fish. Like if you've, if you've ever seen this and wondered like, what is a strange mass of sort of soft fish floating in a jar in the fridge? Like, why did that come about? Well, obviously the, the flavors and tastes and, and the concept of preserving it are, are a cultural thing, right? But why would you have that in the first place? Well, it goes back to this law of uh, of keeping the Sabbath, and that is you're not allowed, like, again, improving upon something, doing this creative work. If you were to pick the bones out of fish to make it more edible, 
if you did that, you'd be breaking the Sabbath. Oh, man. So that's now so good. we have this fish that like is this prepared thing that's floating in the thing. Well, why is it preserved? It's preserved because you only need it one night a week. So right? you're, allowed to open, you're allowed to open a jar. I think you can open a jar. I'd like to see a list of the things that are absolutely totally okay. Like it's okay to sit down. It's probably be easier to just to, to list what you can do than what you can. It's it's bananas what you can't do. And there are people who really re, you know who do this, and this is their this is their regular like Friday night. So you have the Shabbos uh, goy who is doing I guess some of these activities for you, Martin Scorsese. Imagine oh, having oh. little Marty running around open up jars for you or whatever. I bet he had a lot of energy back then. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a giant shout out to listener uh, Ryan, last name withheld on on Twitter. Uh, did you see the link in the dingus? I'm looking right now. Erev Chatzarat. That sounds like something from Dune. Yes. The Erev Chatzarat, or mixed ownership of courtyards and domains, operates so that all the residents treat the entire area as their common home. Interesting. Um, so you have to fence an area in. Uh, um, fences can also be made symbolically using stakes and ropes or wire to demarcate door frames. When an Eruv is made to demarcate a contemporary Jewish uh, neighborhood, a symbolic fence is typically constructed in this fashion using utility poles and wires, as well as any solid walls available. And then I guess that loosens things up because it's technically all your house. That is, I'm reading about this now. That's fascinating. These are, these are wise people. (sighs) Wow. Wow. This is great, Dan. We're already helping people. I know it. Well, thank you to, uh, to listener Ryan, last name with help. Um, we should probably move on. I, I just want to say I have endless aloha for Judaism. I think it's I think it's fascinating. I love uh, I love the intellectualism mm-hmm. of, of Judaism. You know, I like that. I like that. You know, arguing about what we believe, even though we never stop believing it, but we kind of argue about trying to make it better. Right. There's something about that that I I really like. I don't know if I want to do it every day, but like I see that, and that that seems really I don't know, kind of noble to me. It it's really interesting that you bring that up, and I think I think anything that you know you re, it's kind of weird for me because I was sort of raised in this culture, and for me, so much of it was like stuff I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go to Hebrew school, you know, Wednesday nights. I didn't want to go to you know to uh, to to school on the weekend, an extra day where I was like there, like learning this stuff that even though it was sort of interesting and was this cultural thing that was like anytime you take it and you sort of institute institutionalize it in a way that's not the right word but you you a- a- academicalize it you know mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say like you make yeah. it into something that you must learn about this now and by the way you have an extra night of school and you have an extra weekend day of school and it's you know it's not bad enough that you've got to do all these different things oh it's just I, it's, it's just almost like it's almost like my like a cloud around it it's almost like my beef with how how history gets taught sometimes because you know if there's any any subject in school that should or can be interesting to almost anybody. It's almost any sort of history. Right. What are history? History is really, it's, it's stories. Did you like history? Were you you a fan of history when you were a kid? Generally? No. And I, and I partly blame my, I partly, I hugely blame myself because I wasn't the best student of history, but as I got older, I found it more and more interesting. I'm not a historian. I'm not even a buff, but like, you know, there's certain, I don't know. There's just learning why stuff happened and then why stuff really happened uh, mm. is always fascinating to learn. I mean, I'm, you know, just God, look at, look at, you know, the 20th century and the entire history of Germany. It's just incredibly fascinating. I mean, the story of the history of World War II 
you know, the great tragedy of the 20th century. But when you dig deeper and deeper, you, you see so much fascinating stuff about the characters behind it. And, you know, I mean, the day that you learn that Hitler got in in large part by courting the large companies of Germany. Like he didn't just get in because everybody hated Jews. He got in in large part because he got, you know, these huge companies on their side to say, look, hey, you know how we haven't had any good money for a while and everything's been crummy and no jobs? Well, I have a, I have a program that's going to make a more stable economy for everybody. So yeah, absolutely. There's huge ideological stuff going on. But mm-hmm. I, I, when you learn what's really going on behind the scenes, I don't know. I find that endlessly fascinating. It's just, it's very difficult to teach. It's hard to know where to jump in and it's hard to test because the way you test history is by knowing what facts people remember. And like, you know, you know me, like I, I may not get every fact right, but like I know the story and the story is what's fascinating. It's, yeah. it's hard to test on how well you understood the importance of the story. It's really closer to reading comprehension than mathematics. I don't think I ever got higher than a C in history until maybe my second year of college when I had a history teacher who was so, he was younger. I don't know if he was in his thirties as opposed to, you know, the the average age of teachers I'd had up to that point were probably in their fifties. He was younger. He kind of got what was interesting to us, but he, he told it exactly the way you're describing it now as Opposed to like in this year, this thing happened, and this is why he told stories. And like he, you had, you had, uh, you had Mr. Bergstrom. I I did remember. Yeah, remember when Dustin Hoffman is Lisa's substitute teacher? <laughs> Don't you remember that the, <laughs> the episode Lisa's substitute and Dustin Hoffman's her teacher, and he comes in and he's dressed as a cowboy? And remember all that? <laughs> it's that's what you want. Oh, that's a great episode. <laughs> oh my god, that that's the first Simpsons episode that legitimately made me cry. Oh man. Remember, he's, he's driving, he's going away on the train and he gives Lisa a note and says, don't read this till I'm gone. Didn't, didn't with something, I'm look, I'm going to look this up, but yeah, I vaguely do remember this episode. And the note says, you are Lisa Simpson. It's <sighs> so sweet. Oh, it breaks my heart. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. But no, Louise. that's the thing. Like I had that teacher who like made it interesting and all of a sudden I was like, there were, these were people, you know, like it wasn't just this guy did this thing and this woman did, it was like. No, these were human beings who who went through these life experiences and they affected like the history of the world in some cases. How amazing is that? Yeah, and I don't know. This is here's me being Holden Caulfield again. But like I have a reckon on that, which is that, you know, it's it's hard it's difficult to teach the most interesting lessons of history, especially to a little kid, because some of it is incredibly dark. And some of it, if you tell it honestly, goes straight against certain ideologies and it goes straight against certain values. So, you know, we want to teach you that we had some problems with the Native Americans on the plains. We want to teach you that there was this thing called slavery that was kind of a bad idea. What we can't say is we would not have the fiscal success we have today without slaughtering Indians and keeping black people as slaves. Mm -hmm. We would not have the railroads without those way we treated Chinese people. And that's, it's, you can teach that a little bit, but to make the real impact of that, you can't really, if, especially if you think one role of school is to teach kids to be a good American citizen, you you don't want to, you know, there was a time when I think it was considered pretty unsavory to give an unvarnished version of that message. They talked about slavery uh, around Martin Luther King Day a couple years ago at my kid's school. And she heard about slavery for the first time. And she was really sad when she came home, she was like, did you know what happened? They used to, they used to keep people in their families and they, they had to work for these people wow. and they, they would take the babies away. And I was like, yeah, it yeah. was really bad. So, I mean, you know, I'm glad she knows about that, but like it is, it is desperately sad. 
and infuriating, right? You know, we we never paid people back for all of that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's a good series of books. Um, hey, actually, why don't you do you want to tell about something you like while I look this up? Sure, sure. I'll tell you about Warby Parker. I'm wearing my Warby Parkers right now. Um, I was wearing these glasses way before I was doing five by five or had any kind of like sponsorship thing with them. And and I've got so many pairs of Warby Parkers over the years. And I've got like two or three that I wear on a regular basis. I love these glasses. And I remember back when I'm trying to think of the, the year it was early two thousands. Uh, and I was doing like freelance work and I went to this, uh, one of my, one of my friends introduced me to this like development company and I started doing some freelance with them. And the guy who ran the company, he was like really cool. And he had these cool glasses. They were a bit, a little bit retro and, and, and they had these great sort of old fashioned frames. And I said, where did you get those? He's like, Oh, these are sunglasses. I couldn't find any glasses that I liked, you know? So like I went to the, to the, got this nice pair of sunglasses and I just had them put lenses in there. And I said, Oh, you can do that. And he's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, man. And I'm like, okay. So I started doing that because I could fi- I found frames that worked for me and that looked good and that had a, l- a little bit of that retro feel, but like they had the little springy, uh, the little spring so that if you bent the, the, the side of the glasses out, like it wouldn't just break oh, them. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So all of this stuff and they were, they were light, lighter weight and, and they, they didn't look like a moron or not as much. And I went and, uh, and, and started doing this, but it was very, very expensive to do that because you'd have to go and find whether they were Ray-Bans or whatever, and then you'd have to take them and they became custom glasses. And if you don't buy your frames at one of these local shops, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg, hundreds and hundreds of dollars to put lenses in them. It shouldn't oh, be that just, way. they just groan. It's the worst. And they're like, oh, we, it might break if I try to do it. Right. I've gotten this. They're just like, they, they, they're all they're interested in is selling the frames. And I forget where I saw this, but a blogger, it might have been Jason Kotke, it might have been somebody else, or maybe he linked to it, that was talking about they, they were ordering these frames like online and getting glasses made online. And I tried that and the glasses I got were fine, but the prescription was so bad. And now I'm in the same situation. Like, and I sent it back to them. They said, Oh, we'll fix it and send it back. It was wrong again. And I'm like, you know what? Forget this. I'm just going to go back to my sunglasses thing. Well, then I found Warby Parker and these guys, they have the whole thing done right. First of all, like it's a website. And you can go to the website and you log in and you pick out the the frames that you want to try on. They have this little thing. It'll show you what the frames will look like on your face. Like you can use your webcam, your eyesight camera to take a picture and it, it'll show the frames on your face. You can do their home try on where they you pick out five frames and they send you the frames with like the dummy lenses in them. And uh, you can you could put these things on at home, take pictures of yourself, show your friends, you keep it and then you send it back. That doesn't cost anything. And when you figure out which ones you want, then you put in the order. They even get my wonky prescription right. It's amazing. And I've got a really weird prescription and they get it right. Awesome, awesome, awesome service. No uh, middleman. You don't have to go and like sit around and wait in line at a local place. You, uh, you, you just get them. They work. They're great. And this is the cool part. If you, you can contribute to a charitable cause, you buy a pair and give a pair. For every pair of glasses that they sell, they distribute a pair of glasses to somebody in need. And uh, if you use our uh, our special code, you're going to get free three-day shipping on your glasses. So you go to Warby Parker, W-A-R-B-Y Parker, warbyparker.com slash Dan, which I like. And uh, you're going to get your prescription glasses starting only 95 bucks, including lenses. And they also can do reading glasses. They could do sunglasses. I mean, you you name it. They've got it all. Lots of different frames, not just plastic. They've got like 
this special like a tungsten thing. And it's really cool. Go check it out. Warbyparker.com slash Dan. And uh, thanks very much, Warby Parker, for making uh, this show with uh, Merlin Man possible. Dan Benjamin, Bok Bok. <laughs> Wonderful series of books written by Brad Meltzer and illustrated by Christopher uh, Eliopoulos, who I think worked on Hawkeye as well. Um, I think he might be the letterer for Hawkeye. Wow. Um, it's a series by Brad Meltzer, Met Brad Meltzer called Ordinary, I sent you a link to the Abraham Lincoln book, um, <clears throat> called Ordinary People Change the World. They're, these are kids' books that are a perfect delight. Um, so we own all of these. Um, so what, include, is it, what is this all about? Well, here it is. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's basically stories of, as I say, ordinary people changing the world with a heavy bent toward feeling kind of out of place, or feeling kind of, or being somebody who becomes very important, you know, in sort of things like civil rights or, or women's rights. So there's, I, my favorite's I Am Abraham Lincoln. Um, my second favorite is I Am Martin Luther King. Um, I Am Jackie Robinson, fantastic. I Am Rosa Parks. I Am Albert Einstein. Coming out literally today, I Am Lucille Ball comes out today. Wow. Um, and they're wonderful. Just go look at the art. They're so great. They're, they kind of put you in the mind of Peanuts characters. And it's just the story told in first person. He, so he goes to source materials like biographies and stuff and then writes a, uh, writes a story just about like what that little kid went through to become the grown up that they are. And I think they are just fantastic. I Am Abraham Lincoln is, a, is, is like I say, is my favorite, but they're all really good. Are these um, the kinds of books that a kid reads to themselves or you read to them or? Yeah, my, my kid can read them to herself, but it's, it's good to read. I'd say these are even perfect for reading, reading to a little kid. Uh, great, fantastic illustrations uh, and really, you know, just very inspiring stories. Um, well, they got Lucille Ball, like you said, they got Helen Keller. Helen Keller. Yeah, that one's wow. not out yet, I don't think. But uh, I Am Jackie Albert Robinson Einstein? is great. Yeah, but they're funny and they're 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 really really cute. They're very funny. Like from the time Abraham Lincoln is a little kid, he looks like Abraham Lincoln and like has the the hat and the beard. <laughs> Jackie Robinson always wears the Dodgers hat. It's really it's really why's he why's he got that hat with the B on it? What's the B stand for? It's just a story of like Jackie Robinson. Like no spoilers here, but you know spoiler. Jackie Robinson grew up and excelled at athletics, but he was a black kid, so like he wasn't even allowed to like swim at the pool except this one day a week. And now today that swimming pool is named after him. Stuff wow. like that. So anyway, really great stuff. Um, a good kid's book is worth sharing. I don't have to get a few of these. Yeah. We love books. We should talk about that sometime. Okay. We should talk about that. As like long to. as I'm endorsing, I, this is apropos of nothing. Um, you know what? This doesn't matter. We got lots to talk about. Well, I was going to endorse a couple TV shows. Yes, then do it. Have you been watching Mr. Robot? Oh, love it. I really I have a theory. I have a theory. Can I say what it is? You have a theory yeah. that doesn't involve Christian Slater? It does. Yeah, me too. I, it, I'm, I'm, well, you, you think it's Fight Club? Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering that. Yeah, I, did, I was wondering I that. No one's that, ever, that, no one uh, ever sees it, him or reacts did you watch? Him. Did you watch the latest? Oh, interesting. <gasps> oh my God. Okay, stop there. Okay. Did you see the, did you see the, uh, 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 the latest one where the Mads Mikkelsen guy freaks out? Yep. Yeah, I love his wife. And um, (laughs) she's a gamer. Yeah, she's into... uh, Yeah, she's super interesting. She's mm going to be a good mom. Um, (laughs) You can just No, for real, for real. She's she's not going to be one of those helicopter moms. She's going to take risks. Yeah. Mm, Boy, that's a good episode. Is that um, on tonight or tomorrow night? I think maybe tomorrow Wednesday night. night. Makes me angry. The the other show that's really good is Humans. Yes, I I watched, watched that too. Oh my goodness, what an awfully... You know what makes that show great? It's English people. I love that it's English. Well, except for Professor Hobby. He's, uh, he's the one that's American. Oh my God, how much do you love Odie? 
Odie, I feel so bad for Odie. Apricot is your favorite. Oh, that just he crushes my heart. He loves Odie so much. And why doesn't he wipe the schmutz out of off he his does. nose? He keeps, but Odie's Odie's at the end of his life. He's he's going down, man. Can't you just do a a a, a dump and an import? I mean, if I can do that with a blog, why can't I do it with a with an Odie? They should get Maddie on it. She's I love Maddie. Yeah, she's so great. Anyway, Mister Robot and humans, uh, highly recommend. It. Highly recommend them. Yeah, and that's enough of that. Do you have anything you want to recommend for our show? We were also watching a lot of Gilmore Girls. That's just a lot of Gilmore. Up. No, I, I mean, if you're asking me for recommendations, Mr. Robot is my number one. And it was a show that I, t- I did not think I was going to like. And then I read a couple of reviews of it, uh, it with, you know, non-spoiler kind of reviews of like, it's premiering this week kind of thing. And I thought, you know what? I will give this show an hour. And I'm so glad that I did. I, I re- really it's, enjoy it. It really, it looks like something David Fincher would do. Totally. It's really, I mean, it's And almost, Christian Slater, he's one of us, man. So it's good it's, to see him, uh, you know, there. The fact that he's got Mr. Robot on his jacket is kind of weird. Yeah. Oh, I think you might be onto something. Okay, don't you. spoil it. Don't I spoil won't. it. I don't have any inside, you know. I'm going to go back and rewatch now, thinking about what you're saying. No, I, you need to. You need to. How about this? Prove, prove that theory wrong, if you can. But see, I could also see the show doing that just to mess with us, but there's enough there. So he jumped off the... Yep. Railing himself. Yep. And also hmm. goes into the bar. It's like, you should really order something. Otherwise, you're sitting alone at a bar not ordering anything. So uh, think dude. about it. Think about it. What about the popcorn? Does he really eat the popcorn? I think so. Hmm. 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 Well, I don't know. Hmm. We haven't seen a flash of his penis. Yeah, we no see gl- a lot no of glitches. No, there's a lot of things. Oh, man, what a great cast. Anyway, those are some good shows, all the great shows. Um, we got a lot to get to today. We, um, we have uh, some varieties of follow-up uh, from our last episode. Right. We have some three, three sorts of follow-up. Uh, let me kind of, we also have a dance concern for this week. Mm-hmm. And then we have, so I'd like to do some specific exploration with regard to Perfect as the Enemy of Good. Do we have time for all of that? All of it. Um, the really easy follow-up, uh, holacracy. I'm not going to say holacracy because it doesn't look like holacracy. I'm going to say holacracy. I'm going to live with it. Um, we got so much great, detailed, at-length feedback, including an angry anarchist who thinks that we're sheeple. Um, we got some really, really good... <laughs> that guy. That guy's super smart, but he seems kind of angry. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's got a little bit of Mr. Robot to him. Yeah, seriously. Um, with tons of good follow-up. So, so far, uniformly... I think, interestingly, all the feedback we've gotten about Holacracy has been that it's been working great and we gave it short shrift and we're a little bit, um, uh, we're, we're, we are, we do not fully understand it. And we, and and we're being glib. Yes. That that it isn't, it isn't about, you know, riding a scooter and shooting hoops with your dog at work. Like Mm -hmm. there's more to it than that. Many, many people pointed to the company valve, which I think makes video games, uh, that they've been doing this for a while. (laughs) Um, I am, I'm nowhere near ready to tackle this because I have so much to continue to read about this, but I do want to thank and acknowledge the numerous people on Twitter and, um, and via the email who, who have written into, uh, say very detailed and nuanced things about it that, that have given us much to think about. You agree? I totally agree. I, I, you know, it's, we asked for the feedback and we definitely got a lot of it and I think it's great. And admittedly, I mean, this isn't, we, I don't think we came into it saying holacracy or holacracy, uh, sucks and it's stupid. I think we kind of came into it being like, how how would this work? How does this work? But we've gotten a bunch a bunch of feedback from people who are saying, you know what, it, like it it can work or it does work. And 
Uh, and I, I, I'm learning a lot about it. I maybe, you know, oh, there was this, uh, who was it? Koi Vin, I think tweeted that article, uh, that, um, that, that, that talks about, and, and now I feel like incredibly embarrassed because I had it ahead of time. And the what was hit, it about the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy author? Uh, why can I not remember his name? I've just lost any street cred that I, oh, might um, have. uh, uh uh, uh, oh my God! Why'd you do this to me, Douglas Adams? I knew I would uh, get it. Uh, Douglas Adams wrote uh, this this funny piece, uh, which is like I've come up with three rules about getting older, and the first one is anything that exists when you're born uh, is is perfectly good and the way that things should be, and then anything that's invented between age fifteen and thirty five, it so- it shows. Uh, okay, here it is. Thank you. Uh, I've come up with a set of rules to describe our reactions to technology. Uh, one, anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way the world works. Two, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary and you can probably get a career in it. Three, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. And, you know, I'm sure that our own bias it comes from the fact that even though we might not like it, like, we worked in a certain environment in a certain way and that this seems different and wrong and therefore it's new and it's wrong. But I don't know. So I, you know, I didn't, I hope we didn't come across sounding too glib. I I think that really, I think that really does nail the natural state of of people. (laughs) There's this, there's a quote I've heard attributed to Leonard Bernstein. That's something along the lines of no one is obligated to appreciate any music that was written during their lifetime. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Something along those lines. Yes. Yeah. But I know I, I don't, well, let me let me be a little bit of a provocateur. Um, I, I guess, and and I, I I don't mean to just be doing like a confirmation bias here, but I appreciate everybody who has written in to share their success stories. I, I'd like to hear what anybody has to say. Specifically, though, I would love to hear from women who are, I want to say, not at a management level, but I guess there's no management in this. But I would like to hear from women in those organizations. Um, that are that are worker bees and how it's working for them, right? Just out of curiosity, yeah. Um, it was all dudes who wrote to us, which is not unusual because that's mostly dudes who write to us. Um, but uh, I would love to hear. Uh, and 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 I guess you know once I have digested this, my 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 goal is not to find out whether this this can work or whether it does work or whether it can't work. My goal is to find out how and why it works. And I think once I've digested a lot of these notes from people and some articles, I'll be in a better position to do that. But I don't doubt that anything can work. I just want to know what you give up in order to make it work and what kinds of conditions make it healthy, not just working. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm not going to be snarky because I don't want to be snarky, but um, thank you to everyone there. Um, Also, I think pretty, can I keep going? Yeah, of course. This is fast. Um, a lot of feedback about my lightning connector problem. You'll remember last week, I all of my lightning connectors on all of my devices had a funny little stripe on one of the pins. Yep. You also had some of this. Yes. Tons of people wrote in to say they have the same thing. At the risk of greatly, greatly minimizing literally dozens of responses from people, there seems to be some assent that it is, a, it is probably some kind of a corrosion that is, is formed on the power pin. As a result, possibly of something like humidity or liquid. A lot of people write to say that if you clean the schmutz out of your phone, it gets better. I like the corrosion theory. I mean, it it definitely makes sense. What's causing the corrosion? I, I know that you don't really live in like an area where there's a lot of salt water. It, you know, someone I think asked it is, if it's it, very it's very humid here. But you know, I for example, I do listen 
to podcasts in the shower. So I frequently have my iPhone in the bathroom. I wonder if that kind of humidity contributes to it somehow. I don't know. But I, however it was caused, and then the question becomes, well, then how did that spread to so many things identically? Yeah. And I, someone, I think, emailed to ask if your daughter was maybe sucking on the cables. <laughs> Not when I'm around. but Yeah, I don't, I don't think they want... It's a hobby. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that she's doing that. I don't either. Um, and I definitely know that my kids are not doing that. So It would take time away from her dumping Legos on the floor time. Right. But see, I, we never had this problem. I never experienced this problem with, uh, with the old 30-pin style connector. Uh, oh, that's a different animal. Yeah. Well, it, it is. It is. But it's also a cable. It also has power going through it. It also has seen a whole lot of abuse. And I feel like... I've had oh, way more 30-pin experience. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had sure. way, way more use of 30-pin cables for much longer than I've had a lightning cable. So I don't, I don't know the answer to, to, to that, but I think corrosion is definitely a, a good answer to, to, to consider. For yes, now. yes, I agree. And, and, and you know, again, uh, whatever the cause, having replaced all those cables has so far mitigated the problem. I haven't, I haven't had the problem reappear. Yeah. So it's good. That's really good. So thank you again. Thank you to everybody. It's, um, it's always, um, cool when, when people contact us, it shows they're listening and that makes me very happy. Thank me you for too. everyone. That was very, very helpful. And then I'm going to punt on our next bit of follow-up, which is follow up on perfect as the enemy of good, because I would like to hear about Dan's concern. Are oh, you ready? Yeah, and sure. It's Dan's concern. It's Dan's concern. There's something on his mind. It could be a light, or it could be a rifle, or it could be a car. Let's go find Dan's concern. <laughs> Dan, did you have a concern this week? Uh, well, yes, I, I do. Um, there is a... Uh, my car has been recalled. Mm. Yeah, my car has been recalled. Uh, there is... A feature, I have a, an Acura MDX. Look at me. Yeah, I, uh, I got that car because I wanted to have something that my kids kind of outgrew the sedan that I had had. And I test drove every, like a dozen probably sort of SUV crossover type vehicles to find one that, that would work and, and kind of had enough room because... We, we we were always transporting a whole lot of people around on a very, very regular basis. And we need place to put the, all the crap that we have to lug around. And uh, here in Texas, everyone drives to everything. So, you know, shame on me. Fine. <laughs> and that's a different show. I don't need email about that. I feel bad enough. Anyway, this car uh, had the kind of the best overall value for what you got based on the money. It, it wasn't much more expensive than the, other sort of non, I guess is Acura a luxury? I guess it's a luxury brand. I it's, think that's a luxury brand. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's still very much a Honda overall Honda experience, and I've I've had a lot of good luck with Hondas. Uh, this just had a couple extra conveniences and safety features. One of which is the CMBS, also known as the Collision Mitigation Braking System. And what this has is it has a heads up warning that it, it, if if you get close to a car that's in front of you or an object that's in front of you, or it, it thinks that you're going to hit something or God forbid, you know, something or a child or whatever runs out into the road. It can react much more quickly than a human being can. It will warn you to brake if it seems like you're getting in. But if you, if you ignore that warning, 
and you're still getting closer and, and collision seems imminent, the car will actually break for you on your behalf and hopefully save your life unless something goes wrong with the collision mitigation braking system, such as it decides that even if you're just driving at 60 miles an hour and nothing is in front of you to break anyway, causing an accident, apparently that's what's going on with some of these systems. And it looks like my car is affected wow. by that. So now I have to take the car in and let them repair it. And they have to have it for a, a whole day or whatever. And this is the weird thing. You remember how I was talking about conjuring spiders? Yes. I think. Oh, did you, did you have a spidey sense that something I, was wrong? Yes. I was <sighs> sitting, I'm telling you, this is, I've now proven without a shadow of a doubt that I have this ability hmm. because that was fast. I know. I was sitting there. Okay, I just this thing just showed up in the mailbox. My wife picked up the mail and brought it in yesterday. Okay, I did not go to the mailbox. I didn't look in the mailbox. Nothing like that. But Sunday morning, I was sitting there in the car, and I was sitting there, and I looked it over, and I saw this little CMBS button. I'm like, CMBS, what is that? Why is there a button to turn that off? So I press the button and it says CMBS, you know, turned off, off. And then the little CMBS light lights up on the dashboard when it's turned off. Hmm. I'm like, what is that? And I press the button, turn it back on. And so I Googled it, CMBS Acura. And it explains what it is. And I read about it and I thought, that's weird. What if it thinks that there's something there that's not really there? It could apply the brakes and like, that would be a horrible accident. What, what, what so if it's I, developing I it its off. own spider sense? Right, I turned it off. Mm-hmm. And it Weird. says on the thing that if you want to, if, if you can't get into recall right away, turn it off. It actually says turn it off. And I had just turned it off the day before. Like I knew something could happen. And I, I don't know if I saved lives or what. <laughs> I think it's safe to assume you probably did. I think I did. Whew. And so... Wow, and now you now you must be thinking, wow, what, what, what did I what, what else, did I miss? What did I miss? What, and also, like, what else can I do? Yeah, oh, are there other things you should turn off? Right, or what else am I aware of if I just pay more attention to it? Oh God, I don't need that. Oh my goodness! And so they'll have it for a day. They think it's an easy fix. Yeah. Hmm. So I've got it, but I've got a schedule. The concern's not really specifically with the recall. The concern is now you're like, what else is out there? Well, that, but the concern is with the recall because. You know that cars only do a recall when bad things happen to people. You know, they're not, I don't know of a car company. Maybe I'm overly oh, pessimistic, yeah. right? It's an actuarial thing. They're only going to do that if there's a reason to like really believe that there's something dangerous happening. Right. This here. is back to the whole fight club thing because the yeah. narrator in that did that kind of thing. It's like they don't, they will only do a recall when the recall is going to wind up saving them more money than they would have spent settling out of court with these people who it happened to. So like, what else is wrong with the cars? What else is going on with the cars? I suggest obsessing over it. Well, I would, I would get good. on some I am boards, already am. Get on some boards because there's probably some Acura, concerned Acura owner boards. Yes. Find out what's going on. No, you know, I bet the thing is cars today are pretty safe, Dan. They're pretty safe. I, I think you're probably fine. Well, but from now the, on, if that, I feel like I should comfort. turn something, no, it doesn't. If I feel like I should turn something off, I'm going to turn it off. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. Like you're, like, when, you're like Luke Skywalker. I, right? Thank you. you. Sure. You're, you're flying through the trench. Yeah. And you're, and you're thinking you're going to sh- shut off the targeting uh, device and trust the force. Oh, yeah. Kind of. No, exactly. 
Yeah, you I'm know, worried, I got though. by. I started driving. Well, you know, restricted license when I was 15, right? Yep. So I've been I've been driving for what 20? I don't know how many. I can't even do math. <laughs> 20, 30 years I've been driving without this system. Yeah. You know, when I first heard about the what what we can generally call self driving cars, when I first heard about that stuff, like anybody, I guess I was skeptical because I'm I'm human and I like to believe that I'm great at stuff. But there's so many things. I don't know. I guess I think it's such a marvel that they're able to come up with a way to do like you know detecting signs and stuff like. That. If you ever seen any of the videos of how this stuff works, it's it's really really amazing. And I guess there's a case to be made that that you know not necessarily your Acura, but some of these cars are actually making better decisions than we are because they can make them faster. Yes. And the but, whole point know, of the self driving car is not the novelty of I can read the newspaper on my phone while I drive in the car. And that's not the point of it. The point of it is to be safer and save lives. Yeah. I still don't understand how it reacts to like a ball rolling into the road or a kid, but I guess it must, uh, obviously that must be job one Yeah, is to think about the exceptions. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. There was a thing on a podcast I was listening to about this and um, probably planet money. Um, and uh, it was it was super interesting, like taking a trip in one of these cars. And the person doing the piece said something I thought was very interesting, which is like the, the, the craziest part of it is how quickly it just becomes boring or m- mundane, I guess, that you're just sitting in a car that's being driven. It doesn't feel like magic after a few minutes. It just mm. works. I think things like that are so interesting. It's like, you know, I, I do not here in Texas and before that in Florida, public transportation was kind of uh, frowned upon. And mm-hmm. I think in the bigger cities, it's just a normal part of daily life. But for those of us who live in a city where driving is the norm, you know, we think of like public transportation. And the the, the only times when I am on public transportation, I'm like, oh, this is going to be boring. You know, oh, I have to I have to sit on a plane now for four hours. That how can I prevent myself from being bored? What books do I take? What games do I have on my phone or whatever? You know, so that we can avoid the dreaded boredom. Mm-hmm. And if you told me that, you know, as and any kind of fun or enjoyment I get from being in a vehicle comes from piloting the vehicle. You know, it's a, it's a real different state of mind. It's almost like that over the shoulder syndrome where like if somebody else is doing a puzzle and has the pencil in their hand, it's, isn't it strange how often the person who's standing behind them sees the answer before they do. Right. There's something weird. There's a different kind of like cognition or processing yeah, what that, is, that is there a name for that what you just um, described there must, there must be a name for that it, it sounds like a sniglet or something but i think it's really true <laughs> it's, and it's you know i mean you know finally we're all waking up to this idea and i hope i'm not shaming you in particular here no, no. but 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 i think we're all kind of waking up to the idea that we think we can text when we're driving but the evidence is there that you really you should not be playing with your phone while you're driving right it, it seems like you're doing okay, but that's mainly because you haven't hit anything yet. It's it's just, it's it's weird how I mean for me even talking on the phone while I'm driving is it feels incredibly distracting. Are you holding the phone or is it on your speaker? I don't do it. I just well, I, what I used to do was you know listen to it on you know speaker or my wife will do it on Bluetooth in the car. Mm-hmm. But um, it's incredibly distracting because if you're actually having a conversation with somebody, that's kind of where the focus of your attention is. Okay, and, and now, so they say they say that that people are more likely to get to get into a, an accident if they're on the phone. And I've always wondered, do they mean having a conversation or do they mean 
like holding the phone up? Does it the same if it's on speaker Bluetooth? Well, inter- or? Interacting, interacting with the phone, I think, has become something of a no-brainer. Like, just don't do don't that. Don't do that. Like, and I've done it. I, I mean, I have done it. And I, every time I feel myself doing it, oh, I just want to double-check the directions on this. Even if I'm looking at Waze or right, something like right, that. Right. It's, ugh, it's just, it's... But it's, how, is, how is having... So let's say that you, you, let's say that you're, you're stopped in your driveway and you call someone and you put them on the Bluetooth so that they're in the car or they're, you know, you can hear them perfectly. And then you drive. How is that conversation different than if just you and me are sitting in the car having a conversation? How is it? How, how is that more? I'm not saying it's not. I'm, I'm really asking, like, is that more distracting than having a human being next to you in the car? Because I can tell you my, you know, when I, when I drive somewhere to, to go to lunch, if I'm there with my family and my kids are in the back, there's lots and lots of lots of conversations going on while I'm driving. How is having a conversation with my kid in the back seat any different from having a conversation with someone who's on a, a Bluetooth speaker in my car while I'm driving? Really asking. I mean, I, I want to do yeah. the right thing, but like, is that somehow more distracting? It's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to. My guess, my reckon, would be that there is something happening cognitively that is more absorbing when you're talking to somebody on the phone, hmm. where you're, I'm not a neurologist, but like, I bet your brain is doing more heavy lifting in terms of ideating while you're talking to somebody right. on the phone. Um, and there's obviously, there's, there's all kinds of fewer cues about body language and stuff. I just bet you that there's more cognitive load being used for a phone conversation than an in-person conversation, even if it's like a casual one. But I don't know if anybody has a link or a name for that. I'd love to. I'd love to see it. But w- so when this thing is doing its job in the past, yeah, do you notice it doing its? I mean, does it throw up a warning like ah, rabbit in the road or yeah, something like? How does it- I can tell you? I can tell you the number of times that it's happened. I could count probably on 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 one hand in the year that I've had the car so far. It does a couple things. It there is a there is a screen kind of l- little sort of pixelated screen type thing mm-hmm. that um that that is in the dashboard within like above the speedometer that will display the word brake flashing. Mm. It it uh there is a light an orange light that shines up very brightly even during the daytime on the windshield. Like a heads up thing? A heads up thing. It, it's not like it's displaying information. It's just like an alert light that like is, I guess, supposed to wake you up or get, get your attention to the what's in front of you. And then it also, the, it tugs, and this is the weird part, it tugs the seatbelt and goes like really, really strong to like jar you to paying attention. And it does all three things simultaneously and it does them very, very quickly and, uh, and, and this is even if you're like, like if the car in front of you were to slam on its brakes, let's say, mm-hmm. um, because maybe they saw something that, or a car got in front of them that you couldn't see. So like, if that happens, it will do all these things very, very quickly. Here's what I have noticed though, is that because I, I do my best to be an attentive driver, like I'll be driving and I will notice, oh crap, the car in front of me has just slammed on its brakes and I will start putting my brakes on and and then i feel it like tugging i'm like i don't need that i really don't need that i'm already reacting i feel like it it's happening after the reaction now i'm sure that it's not i'm sure that it's happening faster than i could react to it because it's a computer and it's sensing faster than the human brain etc but i just it, it has never been 
I have not yet had a situation where it has oh. alerted me to something that I wasn't already reacting to. The, if the, that you sense. haven't had a situation where it's really demonstrably, demonstrably been faster than you. Correct. Now, I'm not saying mm-hmm. that, that it didn't detect it a little bit faster and then uh, but my perception was off, but I'm saying I was already reacting to it because I, I like if there is somebody in the car with me, I don't even look at that person. I'm just always, always looking at the road, always looking at the road. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's nice to have and I hope they can, you know, fix it. But now I don't think I'm ever going to turn it back on because I'm paranoid about it. I don't want to be driving 65 miles an hour on the highway and nothing yeah. happens now. All of a sudden it's breaking. Like, uh, like that you start to rely me. on it too much or something. Or that too. If anybody out there has uh, has information on this, if you're in the automotive industry or yeah. the or the bunny in the road industry, right? Let please give Dan some input. Please, you know, let's assuage his concern. Yes. If we can. Do it. You're not made of stone. No way. Mm-mm. Strong men also cry. He's in. Um, he's in the Gilmore Girls. He's in. He's oh, really? in, a, in a few episodes. Oh, he's so great. David David Huddleston. Is he's that still his working. Well, Gilmore Girls started around two thousand. Okay, so this is a few years back. But right. he's he's terrific in it. What a cast. Um, you, you know who's in it is uh, is James Gunn's brother, who, who you know as Yondu's <laughs> number two guy in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, really? So the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, his brother plays Kirk on Gilmore Girls, and he's a riot. He has a different job every episode. It's really funny. That's pretty cool. Hey, why don't you... Uh, we got lots to talk about for perfection here. Yeah. Why don't you tell me about something else that you like? All right. I'll tell you about Hip Chat. You know what? I bet a lot of you listening uh, to this are trapped in your inbox every day. It's, it, it's bound to happen. We spend a lot of time on email. We probably spend too much time on email, and a lot of it is the kind of thing that you know what? It doesn't need to be email. It shouldn't even be email, you know? And, and then it leads to these meetings. You get pulled into these meetings and never, nothing ever gets done in the meetings. So there's a way to make it through your workday and not waste so much time. And HipChat is the answer. They are the game-changing team communication app that helps all teams work together more effectively. You get the information you need faster than email. Then you will reduce meaningless face-to-face meetings as well. You get to make decisions and, uh, and, and get, get your work done keeping teams connected. That's what they're all about. They're easy to use. And again, you get to work in real time. You have a question you need to communicate. You can ask it, they, but there's so much that's built into this. They have uh, the, what's called HipChat Plus. And listeners of this show are going to get 90 days of HipChat Plus for free. You'll get premium features like unlimited file storage, unlimited message history, guaranteed support, all for free for 90 days. And you can get started using this thing today. You go to hip chat.com slash back to work spelled out hipchat.com slash back to work go check it out great service and uh and and great folks behind the scenes thank you very much uh hip chat for sponsoring uh five by five and back to work back to work bok 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 uh, um now once again coming to the rescue uh listener ryan last name withheld says uh there's an episode of you are not so smart uh, that talked about driving and talking on the phone. So he's working on that. We should give Brian some kind of a, or Ryan, some kind of a, a title or approbation or something. And what do you have like, in mind? Approbation? Yeah. Did I just use that word correctly? What does that mean? Did I, I, I just, I just said that word and I'm not sure I know what it means. It's a Catholic uh, thing. Oh, really? You put a string around the uh, synagogue? Yeah, and Apro- slam the door and it lights the, the Torah. <laughs> like pulling out a tooth. Right. Same thing. Uh, no, approbation approval, is a, a, a approval a, a, or praise. praise. It's almost like we have the same resources. I know. <laughs> From the uh, Latin. Oh, the Latin. Latin. <laughs> Latin. 
It's uh, the use over time has declined dramatically. Are you uh, kidding me? Late 1800s. That's pity. I'm sorry to hear that, Dan. No. Approbation. Sounds doity. (laughs) Is that doity? Isn't there an Uh, approbate court that you go to? uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. You go to, you get stuck in uh, a probate. Right. Like with a will. Yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yes. There used to be a show on WLW in Cincinnati called Will with a Way, and I loved it when I was a little kid. It was a call-in show. Uh, you know, as was the style at the time. And this guy whose name was Will, he like knew everything. He like knew everything about how to fix everything in your house. And so, or just like in your life, he was just one of those guys, like everybody's best uncle ever. Mm. And people would just call in and go, I have a squeaky drawer and my kid won't eat vegetables. And he'd like, well, put on this, you know, rudimentary paste and, you know, cut them up into tiny bits or whatever. I would love to find old radio shows like that. Approbation. Okay, so uh, last week we answered a uh, a listener's excellent question about what is meant by the term uh, "perfect is the enemy." The perfect is the enemy of the good, and we got a lot of uh, nice feedback from this. Can I address a couple uh, feedback items here? Yeah, go ahead, caller. Uh, thank you. Uh, first time uh, approbator. <laughs> Make it go blind. You get Harry Palm. Oh gosh, Harry Palm. Because that, that's not real, right? No. Okay, I, I think I know by now. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Believe me, am I right? Yeah. Episode three. Um, listener William, <laughs> this, <laughs> you're not finished. Listener William says, uh, first time listener today, really enjoyed Perfection is the Enemy of the Good. Uh, my best girl, uh, name withheld, told me about a challenge called RPM 10, which encourages musicians to write and record 10 songs within the month of February. Mm. I'm a recording artist and general perfectionist. Usually takes me four months or more to craft a song, so on and so, so forth. He says he's doing the best work in 25 years. I look back and realize that the previous 10 songs took me more than six years to make. And all of a sudden I made 10 tracks, 10 great tracks in 28 days. They discussed this and she told me a related story about pottery. Pottery teacher tells half, half, half his class to spend six months make as many, making as many pots as they could with 50 pounds of clay, told the other half of the class to spend the time practicing to, quote, make the perfect pot. What happened? By the end of the class, the first group had many more pots, and the quality was far better than the group who labored to make the perfect pot, whose output was very little. Oh, my God. <laughs> could, there, could there be a more perfect encapsulation of what we're talking about Seriously. here? Seriously. Oh my God. That, it works. Thank you so much, listener William and, uh, and uh, listener Maureen Lesson with help. Oh my gosh, uh, this really, that really got me because I, I can't think of a much better way to put that. That in that quest, and, it's, and this is not, again, this is not to make you feel bad, it's just to make you aware. Yeah. That quest for making the perfect thing so gets in the way of the wonderful improvement process that you go through, the kind of revision process that you go through by making something over and over. You know, it's, boy, it's, when you, when you hear it, you hear it on a podcast or read it in a book, it's so obvious. And yet it's, it seems so elusive, so out of reach in your real life. When you're sitting there going like, you know, should I, should I, you know, eat, 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 eat some popcorn and watch humans or uh, should I try to write something? It feels so far away. And I just, I thought that was a great encapsulation of it. There really uh, is that you talk about this, this sort of perfection of things, of doing something over and over and, and it's like that that whole process of of doing something we talked about last week that you could just it's so easy to become obsessed with that if you're you know and and I think I think there is some kind of reward mentality of thinking that you know what if we like like we we will be better if this thing that we do is better that like it's almost like a self improvement thing to be able to look and say, I made this thing and it's the best thing or it's the best thing that I can do. Therefore, I'm a good person, right? Yeah. But I don't know if that's true. 
No, no, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I, I, I find it most useful to argue this by analogy. And to return to an old analogy, you know, and, and again, this is one of my kind of pot shot things. Like something I put in notes, something I, I mentioned on Twitter today, there's a talk I did at Max FunCon a few years ago about the, the problem of getting started on projects mm-hmm. and like the kind of barriers to that and some four, a handful, kind of four ideas, a handful of ideas for how to get better at starting things. Um, uh, and so that's in show notes. It's pretty short. Um, I think I'd had a lot of Adderall that day because I sound pretty hopped up, but it's a good talk and I recommend it. But um, I think... This from I, when, 2009, you said? Probably. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, with all due respect to the seduction community, it's called. Um, and I, I think that, I think there's something, hmm, there's something, there's something really daunting about trying to get from zero to something. And in your quest for making something perfect, you, it's, it's almost like deciding that you're going to like walking around every day and thinking like, I could run a marathon if I had to. Um, I mean, I'm taking this from a slightly different angle, but it's almost like thinking I could run a marathon if I had to. And then finding out like, if you ever tried to run a marathon, oh my gosh, it's Mm. so much harder than it sounds, especially if you don't run. Like nobody would think that nobody sensible would say, I just signed up for tomorrow's marathon. I'm going to buy some new shoes tonight and read a couple of articles and then run a marathon. I'm not running a half marathon. Running a 5K would kill you yeah. if you haven't been doing it, if you haven't been training. Because the training is really the important part. Like once you've trained a lot, running, running you know, the race is not that hard. I mean, for many people, apparently, and my wife has run several marathons, like that's, that's the first time you've ever run that far. You know, and once you make it past the 17 mile mark and you hit the wall, you say, I don't, maybe I can't do this. But then once you've done it once, you go, you know, I can do this. But you never even would have gotten that first step on the road right. with any sensibility unless you had been practicing, unless you had been rehearsing, however you want to think of it, unless you had been you know, working out before that. So no sane person would think, I can just jump off a bus and run 26 miles plus if I had to. Right. Nobody would think that. And yet, that is not so different from the kind of thinking that we bring to our, our various forms of perfectionism. Oh, man. Which is thinking that, I can't start this because it isn't already done. I can't start this because it isn't perfect. When you realize like, so if you can find some little inroad, a little crack in that system to get into that project, you'll discover such wonderful things that you've never, you may never have experienced these kinds of things before, but you experience the joy of the, to paraphrase Annie Lamott, the crappy first draft. You experience the joy of revision. You experience the joy of like, wow, I feel this getting better. When I'm writing this, I feel myself getting closer to the thing that I wanted to say. So that's not just for writing. It could be for anything. But I don't know. I feel like... I love love what you just said, though, to be honest. I really, really love that. It's Because the hard part, and you've talked about this before. I'm trying to remember which episode specifically. But the hard part is just starting so much of the time, you know, whether it's a project or just like wanting to write something. And like, if you start writing something and it sucks, like, sure, it's going to suck, you know, because most of us haven't been writing every single day already. We're starting something new. We want to write something and yeah, it's going to suck. And you may come back to it and be like, wow, that was terrible. But like, if you don't start it, you'll never get better at it. You'll never make that improvement. You'll never see what you're talking here about that getting better I think getting better is the is is the way that you eliminate worrying about being perfect. Like, is it better? Not is it perfect, but is it right. is it better? I, I would even potentially take it a step further. Did I interrupt you? No, not at all. 
I would potentially uh, take it even a step further. Before you worry about even getting better, worry about doing something. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, and this sounds so minimal. And if you're somebody who's, you know, you know, constantly making lots of stuff, this is going to seem like weird advice because you don't feel this barrier that a lot of folks feel. Um, so I, I feel like, I think a lot of this may come out of the way that we consume culture and media and life, which is that, you know, you can go, uh, you can buy a hardcover book of paintings or photos or drawings, or for that matter, you can buy a comic book and look at it and go, man, this is so good because you're experiencing it as a finished product. I know this sounds obvious, but go with me. Like you're experiencing this as this thing that's all, that's fully formed Mm -hmm. and where every aspect of this has been thought out. And what you're not seeing though is all the times that began with just a mark on the page right. where it began with 50 shots that person threw away or it began with, with hundreds of canvases that person would never show to anybody. It's just that it feels fully formed on a page. The first time you sit down and try to draw something, you go, oh my God, I can't even draw a straight line. Right. Well, there was a time when that person couldn't draw a straight line. That's the part that gets so hard to get over is that, is that you know we see ourselves sucking. And we don't like seeing ourselves sucking and we hate other people seeing us sucking. It's like one of the worst feelings in the world because it underscores every bad feeling we have about our lack of capability, skill, and creativity. Well, you know, why is it though that we think that, and maybe I'm coming up with an answer, but I want to hear yours. Why is it that we think that we should just be good at something uh, just, you know, the first time that we try it? Like that is a prevalent attitude that like, you know, kids, kids, my kids, are smart enough to know that they the first time that they do something they're going to suck at it and that's not a discouragement to them. They know that at least that you know that they're like the first time that you go to kick a ball you're going to miss it or you're going to kick it and it's going to go left when you meant for it to go right. Like that's still oh, right. Now I got to do it again. How many times? I don't know. Like is it fun? Yeah, it's fun. For them it's fun. For them trying something new, they don't have the expectation that they will be awesome at it the first time that they try it but that it, it will be fun the first time that they try it. And like, if hmm. you, you know, and I think that that funness, you know, I'm, I'm saying if they try it once and it doesn't work and they try it again and it doesn't work and they try it 50 times, it's still not working. Uh, you know, maybe it's not so fun anymore and maybe they're going to get discouraged from it. But like, there's this attitude of show me how to do it. I don't know how to do that. I want to do that. You get that, that with like your kids? Fun. Yeah. I don't get that. She's, my kid is, is pretty reluctant to try. She's, I've often wondered if she's a bit of a perfectionist. I think one way she's kind of like her mom is it really matters to her for this to like, she's kind of a late talker. And I think one reason was that like, she didn't want to say words unless she knew she was saying the right thing. I think that's, I think what you're describing probably first of all, kudos. Cause like those are great kids. Well, my daughter but more than, more than my son in that way. But it's, but it's, I'm trying to think of another way to put this is that, you know, when you're, when you're struggling with not getting started, yeah, uh, it's it's kind of ironic, like brutally ironic, that there's no way to know if you can do it because you haven't even tried. And the thing is, you can do anything. It might suck, but you can certainly try it. It's just that there's something about that repetitive thought of keep telling you keep telling yourself that you you can't do it. Right? You're gonna fall. You're gonna fall. Like you're 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 constantly. Um, I'm not, I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I think it's pretty common for people who feel like they're not where they want to be with a project or with a creative endeavor Mm -hmm. is that there's a certain amount of self-talk about how this is not possible or doable. If you have the child's mind that, you know, the beginner's mind of being able to say, Hey, it's just fun to try to kick a ball. That's terrific. I think probably that gets harder as you get older. And, And one way that happens is 
even if you do miraculously muster the ability to start something, you immediately see that this is not what I wanted. Like, you start out going, like, I don't know what I want to say. Well, you know how you find out what you're going to say is you start writing. Like, I don't even know what I'm going to draw. We'll put a mark on the page and maybe that'll start turning into a drawing. Right. But like, you can come up if you haven't done it uh, at all or enough. It is, it feels utterly insurmountable. It yeah. takes a ridiculous amount of courage and humility to be willing to suck at something for a while. You know what? I think you're right. I really think you're right. And I'm, as I listen to you talk about it, I'm, I notice that as my son gets older and he's a little younger than your daughter, as he gets older, I, I think he's more aware of the discouraged, the, the potential to become discouraged and the potential that something he does won't be right. And I think a lot of the time it does come with like withdrawing something uh, or, or writing something or feeling like, you know, it's not going to be right. So I don't want to do it or I won't be able to do it. So I'm not going to do it. Whereas my daughter is still too young to have that, those feelings at all about anything that like, She's when, not self-editing. No, not at all and not self-conscious. So that it, right. she's like, if, if she draws it, it's fine. Like she's just going to sit down and draw it. More my son will be like, I won't, you know, like let's draw together. And I'll be like, okay, what do you want me to draw? And I'll say, draw Godzilla. I'll draw it. Like you, now you draw one. He'll be like, I, no, I don't want to do it. It won't be as good as yours. I'm like, no, it will be as good as mine. It'll be better than mine because it'll be something cool that you've done. Whereas my daughter will just be like, I drew it and it's like a line with, you know, in green and that's her Godzilla and that's fine. You know, like it's still great. And as he's getting older is when he's starting to, to feel this. Isn't it terrible? Isn't, isn't getting a, a perception of the world a terrible thing? Yeah, it certainly can be. And I think a lot of it comes from natural or understandable places. You know, again, I, I can't stop thinking about Fury Road. Um, that, you know, uh, that in that movie, there's a lot to get in that movie, but one of the first things to get in that movie is what they say in the kind of pre-credits scene where he's standing there and kind of I haven't seen off. it. I haven't seen it. Oh, Dan. Dan. It's already out of all the theaters now. Mm. I tried to see it and, and uh, I'm like, okay, you know, the crowds will have died down a little bit. I'll go and see it now. It's, it, it's that, sickening. It's sickening. It's you should like be the able to dollar see theater that, that no one wants uh, to go to. But, you know, the movie begins with him saying, you know, basically, I, I am Max and my world, my name is Max and my world is blood and fire. And then the, the key point in that, in that, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just love this movie. And he says that the only thing that matters is this, this impulse to survive. And that explains, you know, if you need to understand the rest of the movie, understand that it's about survival. So that's true in our lives, too. Um, and this could go straight back to Inside Out in some ways. And my other favorite movie, movie of the year is that it's about survival. It's about not looking stupid in front of people. It's about not feeling shame. It's about, it's about not feeling like a failure. And so the irony is a lot of the impulses that keep us from trying things or doing things or being childlike in how we approach things is this constant uh, chorus of voices that are reminding us how dumb we're going to look if this doesn't go well. And even if that's not like, even if you're not aware of that voice, there's something that's telling you this is stupid, this is silly, this is a waste of time. Um, and, and I think, again, that comes from a good place. That comes from the same place that says, well, like, I've got to go do a job and pay bills and stuff. Like, there's that voice. And the, but the, the, the part about it is like, we lose our lightness about these things. I think what you're describing with your kids, especially your daughter, yeah. is a certain lightness of carriage. Yeah. There are not huge stakes to making something that doesn't look like a dog. Right. Like, that'll just be what it is. <laughs> and, and, right. But I think as you get older, you start kind of um, overlaying stakes on everything until everything starts feeling risky. And especially the idea that you would do something so silly as to go take some time to go and make a pot 
Like that, yeah. that feels like a silly waste of time. But if I'm going to make a pod, it better be a really good one. Better be the best one. And then, okay, what if you're in the class and everybody else's pod is better? Like, think about the way you feel about the way your body looks watching the Big Lebowski um, versus watch, watching um, that, uh, like a Channing Tatum movie. <laughs> like, oh, I go, wow, I, I look like half a bag of potatoes on the decline. <laughs> like, whoa, that's, that's context, right? right? Con- when you put yourself alongside other people and what they've done, you go like, well, I don't even deserve to start this. Anyway, we're going on about this. And I wouldn't be overstating the psychological components of this if I didn't think that they were the actual problem. There's nothing that's physically stopping you from doing anything. Go, and go listen to that talk I did at MaxFunCon. Assume for the moment, I'm just going to repeat myself here, as I do. But imagine for a moment that you have everything that you need right now in front of you to make something. Imagine it's like the long flight scenario. Right. Like imagine you're on a flight and all you've got is a notebook and a pencil. What could you make with that? Well, you know what? Here's the first thing. Don't make a list of what you could make. Just start moving the pencil and see what happens. There's nothing to stop you from making any mark on that page that you want to make. It doesn't need to look like anything. It doesn't need to be anything. You just need to get that pencil moving because that's where the, that's where the discovery begins. There's very little positive stuff to be discovered in wondering why you can't make something perfect, where there is something incredibly illuminating, almost transcendent about the ability to give yourself the opportunity to sit down and make whatever. And that's kind of where it always starts. Yeah. Like, don't, don't look at George R.R. R. Martin. Like, don't look at Picasso. Look at them for their, maybe for their, their habits and their tenacity and their, and their work ethic. But th- you, you don't need to worry about that yet. You need to worry about making a mark on the page because that's where it starts. And so that, you, it takes, like I say, it takes a leap of courage to stop listening to the voice that's telling you you can't do it because you can do it. And you know the thing is, it's going to suck. And then just sit with that sucking for a while. Mm-hmm. Be okay with it sucking. And then, like you say, Dan, it does, and I, I referenced this directly in that talk, it does, once you are rolling and once you are doing something on a regular basis, then you can focus on getting better. But don't worry about that at first. You don't even know what it is you haven't made until you start making it. Oh, that's, I like that one. All right, let's button this up. Already? What you think? No, I think we keep going. <sighs> it's so hard. It's so hard. And, um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny cause like when you're a little kid, um, I think this has a huge amount to do with the adults in your life. The adults in your life, you don't start getting that drumbeat of like, what do you want to do for a living or who are you going to marry? You don't really start getting that until you're, you know, you're not getting the high stakes stuff from parents until a little older. There's a time when you're just allowed to play. You're allowed to make friends with anybody that you want. You're allowed to do anything you want with the Play-Doh. You're allowed to go outside and and pretend that that tree is a ship. And that is all not only okay, it is heavily encouraged for a while. But at a certain point, we start looking askance at those people. Yeah. Because because they seem unrealistic. They seem a little mad, possibly, like Mm -hmm. a little bit crazy. And and that's, that's kind of a pity because... The implication is that you can't be a serious person who does things in life like a normal adult if you also have a certain lightness of carriage. The lightness of carriage is what allows you to say, I can still be a serious person and I'm so confident in who I am that I can also make a bunch of marks on a page that might turn into a monkey or might turn into a short right, story. Right, right, right. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, but all I can say is like, you, you won't get this until you get this, but it does require you or... It, it should impel you to at least try moving the pencil around. And I like the idea of a pencil in a notebook because that really anything could be anything. That will be daunting at first. Give yourself a project. I'm going to make 
10 small circles and see what that looks like. Give yourself a timed writing exercise. There's a famous thing, um, what's her name, Natalie Goldberg talks about in writing down the bones, the 10 minute writing exercise. Just type for 10 minutes and don't stop typing. Right, and if you don't have right, anything right. to type, just say, I don't have anything to type and keep typing. I mean, it sounds like these are techniques and I want to tell you about our, our last uh, sponsor in a second. These sound like techniques that are kind of to get over the, the the concept that things need to be great. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it type even just type for ten minutes. It doesn't matter what you type. Don't have any expectations. It's that not having any expectations. I think that that is the barrier in some cases for me. If I'm trying something new, and and maybe this is common for I don't know if it's common for other people. I'm really good at a, a few things, and I know that I'm really good at those things. I can sit down. I can I could code up an application in Rails. I could write uh, an article. I could maybe maybe do a podcast. Like I'm good at these things. These are the things that I've worked really hard over a long, long, long time. Uh, that hopefully I'm I'm good at. But I know that I'm fairly competent at doing those things, right? And and I know when you you are going to go and like give a talk somewhere, for example, like. You may be nervous, but you've done a lot of preparation and you've done a lot of talks before. And you know that that's one of these things that are it's it's in your tool belt of skills that you have uh, that, that you can do. But then trying something new, even if it's like I haven't drawn a lot in years and, you know, maybe when I was a kid, like I thought I was pretty good at it, but I haven't done it in so long that when I try to draw something now, it doesn't look like the thing that I wanted to draw at all. And even for me, if, even if it's just for my kids, I'm like, well, that, that thing kind of sucks. I don't really want my kid to even see that because it sucks. <laughs> right. You know, I think there's this expectation that if we try hard at something, because we know we are good at these other things, and if we try hard at them and, and their end result is good, that like that we've almost conditioned ourselves to think that if I try hard, the result should be good. And yeah. we've forgotten what it is to try hard and have the result not be good. And when it isn't good, we don't want to do it anymore. Or we don't want to try uh, that's, doing that's, it that's, again. That's a, that's a, you've, you've added a good angle to this. That's a good way to think about this. Or a sad way to think about yeah. that. Is that it, it's almost as though, like I'm trying to think of things where I feel like, I may not be great at it, but I enjoy it. Um, like I like cooking. Mm. I'm not like I'm not like a chef, but like I like making food for my family. Yeah, uh, my palate is very limited. My tool set is very limited. My skill and knowledge and expertise and subtlety is very limited. I mean, I cook the same things with the same ingredients all the time, but that doesn't make me want to stop cooking just because I'm not on Top Chef or something. Because that's something I do because I enjoy it. And you know, it's funny because it's it's almost like you think about the kinds of things that you think of as a hobby. Yeah. Um. You know, it's nice to play video games and get better at video games, but can't you just play video games because you like it, even if you keep dying? Like maybe, you know, there are certain things. I guess what I'm saying is like there is a, you're, you, what you've nailed is this implicit expectation that nothing is worth doing unless you're great at it all the time. And there's, I think, and there's so much tied up in that. I think, for example, on, I follow a bunch of comic artists on Tumblr. And, you know, one thing a lot of them do. Uh, Scotty Young does this almost every day when he's, you know, in the process of doing a lot of drawing. He does a warm up every day. So he does a warm up sketch. Scotty Young, who does all the baby covers, yep. he, he does so much great stuff. Um, love this guy. But, like, you know, for, if, if he's kind of in the studio at a given time, he posts every morning, he'll post like a sketch that he did. And it will be something that he's not working on. So it could be Fury Road or it could be Adventure Time or whatever, but he'll do some character that's not in his wheelhouse and that's his warm up. 
And that's just part of what he does. And I see lots of folks do this. I mean, Doc Shaner has done this. I, I've seen Chris Samney will just do like a warm up of like, even though his Daredevil is not the Netflix Daredevil, like he'll draw, you know, the Netflix Daredevil. Right. And of course, it looks great because they're professional comic artists, but you know, that's part of their process. They just draw all the time and that's a thing. And the way they got good was drawing all the time because that's a thing. It's almost impossible to explain, but there's nothing, there's nothing to very little to be gained from figuring out what you don't even know you suck at yet. Like, are you sure you suck at it? Because like, why don't you give it a try? It could be fun and, and it probably will be fun or interesting in a way that you didn't expect. Writing is not satisfying in the way most people expect. Um, writing, writing is satisfying in a really peculiar way that is almost impossible to describe unless you're writing stuff. Um, the same is true with music. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. We probably talked enough about this, but I, I just want to, I want to be somewhat hopefully encouraging to people to say like, try and go a little easy on yourself. This is the ultimately the, the ending of almost every episode, but think about that idea of lightness. This is true in your life too. Do you have to be as heavy as you are being? Does everything have to have the same heavy, impossibly, potentially catastrophic stakes all the time? Because the chances are that it doesn't have to be. If you get that heavy and that becomes your habit, it's unsurprising that everything feels impossible. Try being a little bit lighter about it. Try mm-hmm. having low stakes. Try, you know, one great thing, somebody, there's like the idea, like we said, of, you know, writing 10 songs in a month. You know, another person here, listener Jaime or Jamie says, as a writer and teacher of novice writers, I see perfect as the enemy of good. The most important thing I learned in grad school was the, pro- the power of revision, not editing, not polishing, but approaching a first draft as a starting place, as raw material to be radically overhauled in the course of creating a piece. I often uh, tell my students and myself, your job is to write a bad first draft because really your job is to write a first draft at all. Freeing yourself from evaluating your work as you write opens up more brain space for creativity and discovery. Endorsed. Nice. Should tell me about uh, something you like? Last sponsor, it's Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Uh, but you know what? The fact is, they've, they've been a sponsor of ours for a very long time. But I still think that there's a lot of people who, uh, who, who aren't you know, really that familiar with what they do today. It's changed so you get banner, much. You get banner blindness. And you say, like, I've already thought about that. I don't need to think about it, that again. Exactly right. Or like you've heard us talk about it in the show and talk about what they let you do and we wouldn't have had a job and blah, blah, blah. But like all of that's true. And if you haven't checked out Squarespace and what they do in, in a while, there's so much more there. If if you have a podcast, like you can host your podcast with them. If you're a musician, you can put your album up there and they have like a little player that understands the concept of an album and lets like you play songs and share songs that way. You can sell stuff there it really, really easily. They've got, they got this amazing built-in shipping calculator so you can put in like the weight and dimensions of the stuff you're selling. It'll figure out the shipping costs and automatically hook up so that it, it can ship easily and you can print labels with it and manage inventory like all of this stuff they have all just built in you don't have to you don't have to go and do all these add-ons and it starts at eight bucks a month and yeah if you just have a want to do a website for your business or your ios app or your restaurant it they've got templates for that that you can customize so easily and just upload a couple images and make it yours they are a fantastic company that they're doing such great things and uh and and i i really do like it here's where you go you go to squarespace.com slash back to work all spelled out. And the code that you want to use to get 10% off your first purchase and make it eight bucks a month is it's your show. It's your show. One word. 
Uh, you'll get eight bucks a month. You get a free domain if you sign up for a year. And uh, it's such a wonderful service. Go check it out and see what they've been up to. There's a lot of a lot of new stuff there. So thanks very much. Can, to can I say space. something? Yes, here? please. I like to just make sure to add this every once in a while is that a lot of the folks who listen to this show are pretty deep in technology and they, they know how to make a Squarespace site or they know how to go make something on any of the other services. They could probably, you know, roll their own, you know, uh, through any various means of just text files. I, what I want you to make sure you think about is how you could be helping other people with Squarespace. Not just because you don't want to have to be in the webmaster business, but I want to make sure you keep in mind that you will encounter people who need a website. And I just want you to remember to tell them about Squarespace because I, it hasn't failed me yet. I mean, yeah, I use Squarespace for a lot of my stuff. I use it for podcasts that I do. I mean, I'm thoroughly satisfied with that service. But what I want you to understand as a listener, please bear in mind when you hear somebody talking about needing a web presence, even if it's not perfect for you today, please remember it could be perfect for someone else. Right. It's very economical. It keeps you out of the webmaster business and it lets them have their hands around their content in a way where they hmm, where they don't have to be calling the kid to find out the ftp address right like get out of that game we don't, you don't need to live in that world anymore so make someone else's life easier by telling them about squarespace thanks very much squarespace back to work bark, bark. <laughs> i like the lightness i like the lightness thing a light touch oh it's hard to remember it's hard to remember there are unless you're manic there are that, not that many patterns of repetitive thought that make you feel better, unless you are manic. Um, generally, the kind of repetitive patterns, the things we tell ourselves, are just our reminders that we should probably be, be sucking in the same way, because that'll keep us safe. The lightness is what lets us go, just take a minute, just catch your breath for a minute and go, is this all really that big a deal? Like, is this all that impossible? Is this, you know, uh, the lightness, the lightness, Dan. The lightness of unbearable lightness of being. Mm, so so unbearable. She likes to wear a hat. I think, you know, I think there is just that that expectation that we set for ourselves that things that we do have to be great as opposed to things that we do have to be fun. I mean, I'm gonna ask my right. kids, I'm gonna ask my kids tonight as a, a follow up. I'm gonna ask them like, you know, if if it's more important that it be good or that it be fun. Is that the question I should ask? I don't know. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that <laughs> part of me that thinks that the thinking about this is the problem. Thinking you about know? it at all. Yeah. The, th- the thinking is not getting anything produced. Um, outlining is, is a, is a part of writing, but it's not really writing. Yeah. Buying pencils is not drawing. Like the, 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 the best thing that you can tell yourself is, you know, just snap that rubber band and make a mark on the page. That's what you need to do. <laughs> it's the, the analysis of this, we're trying to like, it's almost like we're trying to knock down a door. Right. Like we, we have to talk ourselves into doing this thing that came effortlessly to us as a child, where you could just spend hours just playing with crayons and just doing dumb stuff, making patterns, doodling, whatever it is. You know, that's if the analysis is helping you get better at stuff, I think that's really useful. I would say that analysis and thinking can be a huge enemy of getting started because you're mostly convincing yourself why the best route is not getting started. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I encourage you guys to try making something. Try doodling. Try, just try doing something fun. Just type a little funny story or maybe type 10 funny stories and, and, uh, and see what happens. Because once you start working in bulk, <laughs> you realize yeah, yeah. that it, the perfection is just not even a thing you worry about anymore. It stops being something that matters. If you're a cook and you want to get better at being a cook, do you stop cooking if you make one meal that somebody didn't like? Right. No, you, you no. maybe try to learn from it possibly, but no, that's the last thing in the world you would do. You're cooking because you enjoy cooking, not because you want to be perfect. You know, perfection's for suckers and amateurs. 
I love it. All right, let's button this up. I love you, Merlin Man. I love you too, Dan Benjamin. Benjamin.